I knew where I was going to begin, and it's just recomposed. Did a funeral the past year or so at the Cherokee Town and Country Club on West Pace's Fair. In the some fancy room upstairs, it was very nice. It was very nice. I'm not a member of the Cherokee Town and Country Club. I was at my club yesterday, Sam's Wholesale Club. I have a card. I'm a card-carrying member. I'll show it to you. That's the club I belong to. We belong to different things. Organizations, clubs. Uh, if you're a sports fan, you might belong, Harry, to the Bulldog Club for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Thank you, Harry, very much. Uh, he's talking about the Georgia Bulldog Club. If you're from Georgia Tech, you might belong to... Well, yeah, we're not a pep rally, but that is your club. Is there a club that Tech has that people can belong? I'm sure there is. You know, Mississippi State, we, we go to counseling. But there's different things that you can go to. You might be a member of AAA. AARP. Different things that you belong to. Today, I want us to focus on what really matters. That you belong to God. And some of you I don't know. But I know God. And you belong to God. And when we remember that, and we remember that He has a plan for us, our life changes for the better. Over the past couple of months, we've talked about how God wants us to live. We looked at God's great expectations for our lives. And today, in the week before Easter, we see God do the most amazing thing. I almost said a surprising thing. But if you know scripture, it's not surprising at all what God did. What we see from Palm Sunday to Good Friday to Easter is all part of God's plan. So this week, as you think about God's sacrifice for us, know that it is God's plan. And know that God's wheels are in motion. Not only then, but now in your life and in my life. Before we go further, let's pray. Father, thank you that we are here. Not a coincidence that we are in this place on this day. Part of your divine plan and call. So thank you that each of us are here. Father, we pray that while we are here, that we would draw closer, that we would learn more, that we would become who you want us to be. Thank you that you can take the past and put it behind us and give us a new day. Help that to happen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Before we talk about Palm Sunday, let's go back to the beginning. Back to Genesis, believe it or not. In chapter 1 and 2, you have creation. You've read the story. You know the story. And in chapter 3, you have the fall of man. The serpent, the tree, the fall of the world. Sin enters the world and infects everything and messes up creation. If you know the story, you know that Adam and Eve ate from the tree and God came to find them. And remember what they did? They ran away to hide. They hid because they were naked and afraid. 
so they made makeshift clothing from fig leaves, Genesis tells us. And God finds them and can't hide. He tried to can't hide. God finds them and punishments are handed out. And right after the punishments in Genesis 3 about the toiling that they were going to have to do, how childbirth is affected, those kind of things, right after the punishment, this happens, verse 21 of chapter 3. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife, and he clothed them. It's interesting, right after the punishment, God acts with grace. And he takes care of these two sinners, these two fallen beings. He gives them clothes. And here God's grace is expressed in a symbolic way towards this unworthy couple who deserve death. Really. That's what they were told in verse 3 of Genesis 3. Remember that? God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden or touch it or you shall die. But immediately after they mess up, God is gracious. And instead of killing them, He covers them. He made garments of skin for Adam and Eve, and He clothed them. Here, God provides physical clothing, but He's also covering them spiritually in a symbolic gesture. Doesn't say He found sheep, sheared sheep, knitted the wool, and made something said that it was the skin of an animal. And in order to get the skin of an animal, what the animal had to do had to die. There's no other way. So God clothes a naked sinner and covering the sinner by the sacrifice of an innocent victim in Genesis 3. Providing atonement. And this introduces for the first time in the scripture the matter of atonement or covering of the sinner through the death of an innocent substitute. Now you know why I went back to Genesis 3. God chose the animal, he killed the animal, he took the skin and he covered them. This is the first death in the world that we know of, never before this. It's a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ who's the lamb slain by God before the foundation of the world. If you read the Old Testament, God required sacrifices for people to cover their selves and their sin. And the sacrifice, the sacrificial system was to picture the necessity of a substitute to take place for the sinner, to be killed, to bear the wrath of God. And of course, none of them could do it permanently. It went on and on, pointing to our need for Jesus. Maybe one of the most known stories of the Old Testament sacrifice is found in Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It will be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the 10th of this month, they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. And a household is too small for a household is too small for a whole lamb. It shall join its closest neighbor and obtain one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old male. 
You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. Then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They'll take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They'll eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with its head, legs, and organs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I'll pass through the land of Egypt that night. I'll strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt, I'll execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The first castle. Another substitution. The lamb for the house. The people of the house. And again, as we read that as Christians in, in our way, we see Christ in that all the way back in Exodus chapter 12. When we get to the New Testament, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, said this when he saw Jesus in chapter 1, verse 29, John. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Mm -hmm. So John knew exactly who Jesus was. He got it. He understood. So with that in mind, we go to Palm Sunday, which happened to coincide with the week of Passover. Matthew chapter 21 tells us what has happened on that day that we celebrate today. When they had come near Jerusalem, had reached Bethpage and the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her untied and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this. The Lord needs them. He'll send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, and full of a donkey. The disciples went and did this as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, they put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is prophet Jesus, the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. <clears throat> so that's what happened. But today we ask the question, Why? Why did he enter Jerusalem? Why did he have to come? And you know the answer. To die. To be my substitute. And to be your substitute. That was God's plan. God had set these wheels in motion since even before Genesis. Look at
looking at what the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, the first part of verse 20. God chose him as your ransom long before the world even began. That's hard to understand. But I believe it. I also happen to believe that God still has wheels in motion today. That God still lines things up in history. Before I complete that thought, look at this verse from Galatians 4. These verses, chapter 4 of Galatians, verses 4 and 5. It says this, when the right time came, other versions say just at the right time. God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. So that He could adopt us as His very own children. I love the language, when the right time came. So this is what I want us to understand. Christ came at the right time. I believe God lines things up. And I bet you believe that too. But here's where it gets really fascinating so we can apply it to our lives. I believe God is lining us up. He's lining you up. We just have to pay attention. We need to know that God has a plan for our lives. That he loves each of us that much. And with our lives we can do great things. I don't believe in coincidences. I believe you're here for a reason. To understand that God has something for you. What that is I can't exactly tell each of you. I would encourage you to pray about it. And find out what it is. In the Father. Might be moving away from something. Might be moving towards something. Might be doing something he's told you to do and you've not done. I don't know. But God can use you. God loves you. He loves us that much that he put the wheels in motion since before time began for each of us. I love how John puts it in chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's talking about you and me. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. I don't know what you think of yourself, but God's crazy about you. So much that he set those wheels in motion for you and for me.